0: Welcome to Grace, everybody. There's a bunch of folks coming in still, so wave your hand if you got a seat near you. And you're going to make a new friend. It's exciting. This is a great time to remind you about Saturday night services at 5 and 645. There's plenty of seats. There's free parking. And you get 1% off your tithe. That's fantastic. Um, And you can leave your kids here overnight. Yeah, you can, but we'll just lock them in the building, and they'll fend for themselves. But uh, check that out. And then always remember the extension just down the road. If you're running late, and you're in a fight in the Honda Odyssey minivan, the official minivan of Grace Church, um, you can go down to the extension. It always starts a half hour after the Gent Road uh, building Services do. So, you can go down there, and I'm in beautiful high definition. So, same music. Uh, same message, but you get a clearer view of me, you're welcome. All right, so check that out. So welcome, welcome everybody watching online. Thanks for being uh, here with us as well. Uh, We're in a series right now called Assume I Know Nothing, and this is the idea. We just asked the question, like if you walked out of the woods and you had no context, of uh, the Bible, or Jesus, or uh, the Christian subculture, and you said, what do you guys believe and why do you believe it? Uh, we said, where would we start? If we're going to walk you through that kind of blow by blow, uh, where would we start? What would we talk about? And how would we help you dial into that? And so that's what we've been doing here this last uh, few weeks. And we said, uh, if you will go on that journey with us, if you kind of take the spring semester of your life, uh, we really believe that what, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of put the cards out on the table so that you, the information and the ideas that you need are there. And we really believe that if you'll go through that, kind of collect those things, you will have what you need to get your head around God. And so you can, you can have an understanding of God, understanding the Bible, and you can kind of lock into those things. How you play those cards is your business, of, of course, right? So what you do with them is up to you but at least they'll, they'll be there for you. So uh, this this conversation, Assume I Know Nothing, our next one, Five Assumptions About God, and then there's a third one right after, right around Easter time, so kind of from now to Mother's Day. If you'll take that semester, uh, we really believe that it can be life-transforming for you and help you get your head around that, okay? Uh, so if, if, if you're looking for that, it's great. If you grew up in church like some of us did, You don't know why you you believe what you believe you just kind of were told what to believe but you want to kind of fill in the blanks on that Uh, this will help you with that as well and so uh so take advantage of that okay so we've been on this journey uh together and we're doing it in a linear fashion so i encourage you we've talked about the bible we talked about the origin of sin and the and the condition humanity was created to be in Uh, Last week we talked about what God's doing, He's restoring, He wants us to have faith. So if you really want to kind of lay those out in a linear fashion, it'll probably help you a ton. You can go out to our website, graceohio.org, you can watch them, listen to them there, Uh, get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want. Or watch things on the app. You can just hit the app, hit media, and, and it'll be right there as well. I encourage you to do a little bit of that homework. At least listen to it, but do it's. It's better if you watch because you know you get to see me. But but at least listen to it, and it'll help you out with those things. Okay. So this weekend, as we're kind of moving forward, this weekend what we're doing is we're talking about the authority of God. So we w- want to get our heads around this, the authority of God and his motivation for giving us instruction. So uh, a, a knock on the Bible would be this, that the Bible is just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? That, that's a big accusation toward the Bible. And it's actually, if you're like a Bible defender, you're like, no, it's not. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's a big part of it. Like God's like, don't do this, do do these things. He's instructing us how to live. So when you think about interacting with God and having a relationship with God, As you get to know the bible and and you understand your fallen condition and all those kind of things you're going to run into like god telling you to do stuff and it's a big part of the bible like it's a it's all through the old testament the first part of the bible it's all through the second part of the bible the new testament and it's god instructing people i I don't want you to do this anymore i want you to do this i don't want you to harbor bitterness i want you to you know extend forgiveness right so it's all through the bible and the question is, why? Like, why would God tell us to do things and not do other things? Why does he interact with us that way? And what are we supposed to do with that? Like, the, the authority of God, okay? So, that's what we want to try to get our head around this week, and I'm going to try to walk you through it. So, what we've learned so far in this conversation is that because of the fall, right? So, let me just—this is, this is a couple weeks ago. you got to go listen to it. But because of the fall— We were created originally, Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God. There was no sin. And they were in perfect relationship with each other. They were the only people that ever had a perfect marriage. Okay? So Adam and Eve. They fell out of that place when sin. So that's why we call it the fall. So they were supposed to be in this place with God, perfection, heaven on earth. They fell away from God because of sin. And when they did that... What we call the, the the sin nature, the sinful condition now came into humanity and affects all of us. We all have a sin nature. Okay? Now, because of the fall, then this is what happens. Because of that, sin has become a predominant part of our lives. Like sin is just something that we deal with all day, every day. And it affects our interaction with God. So our interaction with God, because of sin, is no longer instinctual, and it's no longer a natural part of the environment that we live in, okay? So what's instinctual for us, instead of being instinctually good, we're instinctually bad. We're sinners. So One of the big lies that, that's in our culture today is that humanity is naturally good. No, they're not. That, that comes out of something called humanism, where if humans could get their act together, they would love each other and save the world. That's not true at all. Humanity is naturally bad, and all you have to do is look at your own humanity, and you'll see this, right? So It's not instinctual for you to be good, it's instinctual for you to sin. Nobody ever taught you to lie. You instinctually know how to lie. Somebody has to come in and tell you to tell the truth. Uh, Nobody ever taught you to be selfish, all right? So when, when you were a little kid and your sister took your Hot Wheel and you punched her in the face, right? That all came naturally. Right? What happens then is somebody comes in to teach you to to tell to to be godly or to do what's right. So your mom intervenes and she's like, Don't punch your sister in the face. That's wrong. She identifies the sin. You should be gentle. She puts in what's correct and right, and you should share. Right? So godliness has to be imported because our our instinct is to sin. Uh, Heidi and I have a house full of teenagers, so every time we eat it 's some level of a food fight like it 's just like lions attacking the cheetah right so they 're just hungry so when we ha- when we get a pizza we don 't serve it, we throw it in the air, and the kids like consume it before it hits the ground so so that 's their instinct i 'm going to be selfish i 'm going to self preserve i 'm going to be narcissistic oh, i 'm hungry i don 't care what you are like that 's all their nature. So Heidi and I, we have to bring in godliness. No, take one piece and actually eat it at a respectable pace, right? Save some for your brother. He's not home from basketball practice. Dad also eats, right? So we should let him have some food, right? So we have to bring that in because of our sin nature. So left to ourselves as human beings, Because of the fall, because of sin nature, that's how we'll act. We are naturally rebellious. That is our sinful condition. We call it the fallen condition. We're we're naturally rebellious. The thing we want the most is the thing we're told we're not allowed to have. That's natural for us. Uh, We are raised by sinners. So all this is reinforced. So you can tell your mom she's a sinner. Tell her I said. Uh, Jeff said you're a sinner. it's true. she's got to take it. if she gets defensive she's sinning, and she just proved your point. I just say that that's the way it works right So we' are raised by sinners we We live with sinners, right It's just a part of the human condition when when uh, When I do a wedding here at Grace, uh, when we're doing the vows, one of the things I always say before people lock in is I always say, remember, this guy you're marrying is a sinner." and he's probably gonna go bald, right? So it's just like, you just gotta wear that in there. But it's like, hey, the, the reality is, you're not marrying your, your knight in shining armor. You're marrying a sinner, okay? So in, in, in us, everyone here and everyone online, the, the thing that every human being shares with every other human being is we've been sinned against. We all have that, somebody lied about us, somebody did us wrong, why? It's the human condition. So, we're sinners, we're rebels, we live with sinners, we're raised by sinners, and then we live in a sinful culture. So, our culture, and it's not because America's not what it used to be, it's every culture on the planet, they will push us away from God, not to God. So, our culture, when it says, you need to watch out for yourself, you need to pursue your dreams, you you need to make the best version of you that you can make, none of that's in the Bible. None of it. So even our culture will, because it's a culture designed and managed by sinners, okay? So because of all that, we, we in ourselves don't have an instinct to pursue God, right? To, to do what's right. We we that we're not taught that by the people that we live with. We just mimic how they sin against each other. We don't live in a culture that like is saying no. There's something different, and sin dominates it. Does it make sense? I try to think of it this way. I want to put some skin on it. So, um, you guys know the story of Tarzan. Right? So Tarzan, remember that story? Like Tarzan, something happened to Tarzan's parents. Nobody really knows. It's like this big secret. The theory right now is that Tarzan is the child of the parents of the princess in Frozen frozen. And when they got shipwrecked, they had Tarzan. Seriously, it's out there. Google it. Like, it's a thing right now, right? So, somehow, Tarzan wound up in the jungle, right? His parents got wiped out somehow, right? Depends on which version of Tarzan you watch. He got wiped out. And Tarzan was raised by what? The apes, right? So, Tarzan was raised by the apes. So, I dressed up as Tarzan last, uh, last Halloween. This is my costume I had on. Is it yet? <laughs> The, I know the loincloth's funny, isn't it? But I wore that. And uh, if I rip my shirt off right now, that's what you see, because I, uh, I CrossFit. I CrossFit, and I eat paleo, and uh, I go to CrossFit once a week, and um, that's the result. I don't even work out. I just go, right? And that it happens by osmosis. So, so anyways, so Tarzan, right? So Tarzan is in the jungle, and he's being raised by apes, okay? Now catch this. The apes raising Tarzan are not jerks. They're just apes. Right? The apes don't set out to de-civilize Tarzan. They're not they're not like, we're anti-human. They're not that at all. They're just apes. Like they, they do what they they do. They're not jerks, they're they're not anti-human. They they have some great ape qualities, I guess, right? So they have good personalities, those kind of right. So they pick each other's fleas. Like so they like they have these ape qualities, but they're apes. They are by nature apes. Tarzan is not. So the apes do things. They run on their knuckles and they kill each other over a woman. So in some ways they're human, right? So they, they, they do that. They, they, they uh, eat raw meat. They throw their poo at each other. Like they're apes. That's what they do, okay? Tarzan is raised by the apes, so he acts like an ape. He acts like an ape until someone arrives in his life who brings truth and correction to who he actually is. And her name is what? Jane. So Tarzan meets Jane, right? That's the way that it uh, works. That's my wife, Heidi. She is not Photoshopped. She actually looks like that, which is why you should follow Jesus, gentlemen. I'm just saying that's the way that 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 works, right? How do dopey guys marry Heidi? Jesus. Okay? So so (laughs) Jane meets Tarzan. And what does Jane say? Jane says to Tarzan, hey, you're not an ape. And Tarzan's like, what? Right? He, he's shocked because he's raised by apes. He lives with apes. He's, he lives in a culture of apes. She's like, you're not an ape. You're, you're supposed to be something different. So, so I'm going to bring instruction and correction into your life to help you be aware that you're supposed to be something different. You're supposed to eat with these utensils, not like your hands, off the jungle floor. What? right? You're supposed, you're supposed to put clothes on. What? Right? I'm, I'm Tarzan. I'm Lord of the jungle. She's like, right, take a shower, right? Because you, you were not created for this. You just exist in it. You were created for a different life. Let me help you see that life, right? Now, drop the metaphor. Don't spiritualize the metaphor, right? I'm just, you, you got it. This is why God tells us to do stuff. That's why he tells us to do stuff. Because he looks and he says, you'll, you'll never figure this out on your own. There's nothing in you or surrounding you that will fire these light bulbs off. So I'm going to come in from the outside and I'm going to give you commandments. I'm going to give you direction. I'm going to give you what's called the law we're going to look at it in a minute. And what that's going to do is it's going it's to cause you to be aware that you're not supposed to live in the jungle. And it's gonna cause you to be aware of how to do things that don't come naturally to you. So what the law does is the law teaches us to connect with God and to live with each other. That's what the law does. It, It teaches us to connect with God and live with each other. It teaches us what was instinctual before the fall, but now we need like instructions about it Because that doesn't make sense. Nobody knows not to lie until their mom says don't lie. So God comes in, he says, let me tell you what you're doing and what you should do and should not do so that you can have a different outcome in your life, okay? So what I want to do this weekend, I want to introduce you to the foundation of the law. And this is found in Exodus chapter 20. So grab your Bibles if you got them, go to Exodus chapter 20. It's page 52, in those Bibles in the chairs. If you don't have your own Bible and you want one of those, just take it, keep it. If you want to use your uh, smartphone, just hit the app. Everything's right there on the app. So Exodus chapter 20, page 52, is where we get the foundation of the law. So let me let me catch up a little bit on where we're at in the Bible. So we start with Adam and Eve. Multiple generations later, last weekend, we talked about Abraham, Okay. Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. Abraham had one kid. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two kids. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Jacob, later on, God changes his name to Israel, right? So, that's where that name comes from. So, Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. He has 12 boys, and they're called the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those boys was named Joseph. Long story, you're gonna read it on your own. I don't have time this weekend, but long story. Joseph winds up as vice president of Egypt. Israel, Joseph's family, they are affected deeply by this famine. Joseph ultimately brings them to Egypt because Egypt has food and they don't. And so Israel, the nation of Israel, tribes of Israel, wind up living in Egypt, right? Now, Joseph dies. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, that family turns into three million people. All from Abraham. God fulfilling that promise. Okay, so three million people later. The Egyptians freak out. They're like, we got three million people that can overthrow us. So what they do is they enslave them. Okay, so the the Jewish people, the Israelites, built the pyramids. It wasn't aliens. Don't listen to the History Channel. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. So it wasn't the aliens. It was the Jewish people built the pyramids. So they're enslaved to do all that kind of stuff. They say, God, will you help us? God raises up a guy named Moses. If you're familiar with Moses and the burning bush, right? Moses goes to Egypt, tells the Pharaoh, "Let my people go." Okay, and, and Pharaoh won't, so they enact these, God enacts these plagues. And what, by the way, what he was doing was he was mocking and discounting Egyptian gods. Every one of those plagues is connected to an Egyptian god. He's saying, no, I'm God, so I can do these kind of things. So these, these plagues come through. The Pharaoh's like, get them out of here. They leave. Pharaoh's like, what did I do? So he chases them down. They cross the sea. God performs a miracle, wipes out the Egyptian army. Now the the, the, uh, Israelites are free, okay? So they are on their way to the promised land, which is the geographical place that we now call Israel. It even exists today, okay, the country of Israel. And that's how all that happened. On their way to the promised land, God looks at his people and in essence says, wow, they have been very far removed from Abraham. They don't know anymore how to interact with me well or how to interact with each other well. They've been in a foreign land with foreign gods and nothing about their culture has reinforced me. So on their way to the promised land, God calls Moses to a meeting. God gives him The the basis of the law that we're going to look at today, we call it the Ten Commandments. So God gives him this timeless, universal law. It's the foundation for all the law of God that's in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we call it the Ten Commandments, okay? So here are the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, Moses has this meeting. He gets the Ten Commandments from God. I'll run you through them real quick, and then we're mostly going to talk about what to do with them, okay? But here they are, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Big deal. By the way, little side note, this is, this is called monotheism, so this is where, for in Christianity, we believe there is one God, and only one God. And he's the God of the Bible. He exists in the, in the form of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's called the Trinity. So the Godhead. So one God. So this comes right from the Ten Commandments. There is one God. You shall have no other gods before me. So there's one God, monotheism. So in other words, God is saying to all these people— the frog god, no, the sun god, no, pharaoh, no, one god and only one god. Okay, so one of the first 10 commandments. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image. So, God says there's no idols. So, don't make a don't make an idol of a cow and worship the cow. Don't make an idol of the fish or worship the fish. One god, you worship me and me alone. Uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 7, third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Uh, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What that means is this, that's everything from using God's name as a curse word, Jesus's name is a curse word, Jesus Christ's name is a curse word, God's name is a curse word, all the way through making a vow in God's name you have no intention to keep. So for instance, when you say something like this, listen man, I swear to God, oh, you gotta be careful. Because you just took a vow in the name of God, you took a vow to God, and if you have no intention of keeping that, you've taken the Lord's name in vain, is the way the old the old translation said it. And God will not hold you guiltless. He hears it and remembers it. Uh, here at Grace, when we do a wedding, uh, when we're, we we take the vows to each other. And then there's a point in the ceremony where I look at the bride and groom, and, and I'll say, you're going to take these vows in God's name. And, and you'll take the vows, and then you'll say, I take these vows in the name of the Father, and they'll repeat it. The name of the Son, and they'll repeat it. and the name of the Holy Spirit, and they'll repeat it. And you just took a vow to God, right? So this is, this is what God's talking about here, like, you don't misuse my name. You can take a vow in my name. In fact, sometimes, like in a wedding, it's very appropriate to take a vow in God's name, but you don't take that lightly, you don't take that abusively, You don't, and you don't ever throw it around. Why? Because if I can defame your name, I can defame your character. If I can defame your name, I can defame your character. If I can make your name a joke, I can make your character a joke. So God is very, very protective of his name. It's one of the commandments, okay? Uh, Verse 8, remember the Sabbath. So, remember the Sabbath. What God says is, I work six days, so should you. You should rest. You should rest your body, you should rest your mind, and you should concentrate your soul, if you read the whole passage, right? So, there's lots of ways to keep the Sabbath. We call it the Sabbath principle. When I was growing up, what we had to do was we would go to church, And then we would go home and you had to take a nap or read your bible or read a book about the bible and then you would go back to church and that's how my mom and dad wanted to honor god and keep the sabbath i i I think there's many ways to do it but the principle is this we don't work around the clock and we set aside one day to pay attention to god okay that's the idea of the sabbath Uh, verse 12 another commandment honor your father and mother if you're a kid listen kids teenagers this one's for you. So you're allowed to go tell your mom she's a sinner. She's allowed to look at you and say, honor your father and mother. Okay. So that's the little deal we worked out here this weekend. So honor your father and mother. Why does God say, honor your father and mother? And later on it says, and you do this as unto the Lord. Why is that a big deal? Ready? Dial this in. You may want to get a tattoo of this. This is big. Ready? Here it is. Because the, we learn to interact with God by interacting with our parents. We learn to interact with God by interacting with our parents. So our parents, being under our parents' authority, by the way, the Bible doesn't say honor your father and mother if you have really good parents. So being under my parents' authority, respecting and caring for someone that I don't always agree with, right, teaches me to interact with God. If I throw a fit every time my mom and dad tell me to do something I don't like, I will throw a fit every time God tells me to do something I don't like. So God's like, no, we don't interact. He's teaching us to interact with each other. We don't interact with each other that way. So honor your father and and your mother. And then some of the ones that are real well-known, you know, you should not murder. That's always a good principle in life. You should not commit adultery, same thing. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. Why don't you give false testimony against your neighbor? The Bible says that lies are the native tongue of the devil. So when I tell a lie... I'm speaking devilies. right? So God says, no, if we don't interact with people with the, with the language of the devil. We don't tell lies against each other. It, it's, that's, that's satanic. We speak to the truth to one another in love. We speak psalms, encouragement, spiritual songs, right? People of God are, are different. Don't give a witness. And then verse 17 is the last commandment. Do not covet. Right? Here's the, th- here's the thing for you with coveting. Uh, you cannot covet and be grateful at the same time. You cannot covet and be grateful at the same time. And God wants his people to have an attitude of gratitude. So I can't look at your new GMC Denali pickup truck, 4x4, four 4-door, four, four all the tech, retracting floorboards, power gate with the stuff. I can't look at that and be grateful for my 2008 Yukon at the same time. I'm gonna resent what I have because I want what you have, right? So don't covet. I can't look at your wife and my wife. I can't covet your wife, covet your job, covet your income, covet your house, be jealous of what you have and be grateful for what I have at the same time, right? So those are the Ten Commandments. And, and those are those are some of the laws. That's the foundation of, of most of the laws of Scripture. That's why they're a big, big deal. And they, they govern. They govern how we interact with God and how we interact with each other. Now, they're not the only laws in the Bible. You get in the New Testament, there's other laws. Like, there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality among you. You should not harbor bitterness. Like, it goes on and on. God's telling us what to do. Why? Because we would never figure that out on our own. So, God intervenes. Don't hit your sister. Because hitting your sister comes so naturally, especially your sister. Right? So, hitting your sister comes so naturally. Don't be selfish. Be kind, be generous, and God commands this and directs us so that we have clarity with it. okay So when you're thinking about why why do I have to let what is, is the Bible a, a book of do's and don'ts? Kinda I mean it's a fair knock, kinda. So why did why and, and what do I do with it? okay so there's there's three big questions that I would ask if I was you when I'm thinking about God's authority and the do's and the don'ts of Scripture. And I put these up on the screen for you. You can write them down if you want. The first question you should ask when, when thinking about the laws of the Bible is, number one, why were they given? Why were they given? And we've talked about this a lot. There's three big reasons why they are given. One, that God's laws are given. They're meant to be instructional. You don't tell lies. Oh, I didn't, know I, well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. Tarzan, don't eat with your, don't run on your knuckles. Oh, I didn't know. I, I've been raised by apes. Right? So they're instructional. They, they teach us that we weren't created to live in the jungle. we were created to live over here. There's a different intention. I'm not that, I'm this. okay So they're instructional and these are things that we would never come f- come up with on our own. Second thing, they, they set they're protective. they're protective. They, they set up parameters, right You should not murder is a protective thing, right? Because that, that command applies to you and to the person who wants to murder you. So it, it's protected. I'm gonna instruct you, and then these are the, per- don't steal, right? In fact, in fact if you wanna like test this, when you pull these laws out of a civilized culture, the culture collapses. So if you, if you totally negate the don't murder law, you become ISIS. You, you become Stalin, you become Hitler, right? There's no restraint. I just, just If I don't like you, i kill you, right? You, you pull that law out and, and don't steal, you, your, your whole culture collapsed. I wanted your TV, that's why I took it, well, it all collapsed. You put that law in and it orders a culture, it orders how human beings work with each other, right? I Don't murder, but I'm mad, all right? Well, there's probably another way to work it out besides killing them. I want, I want your TV. Well, don't steal. All right. If I don't steal, what do I do? Well, what if we come to a financial agreement and you buy my television? It, it, liter- it literally is like the basis of the economy, right? And it's not natural because naturally, what's a little kid do? If they want it, they just take it. It is a taught, a learned behavior, so it's protective. And then the last thing it is, it's restorative. It's restorative. That's why God gives the law. So left to myself, I also have this instinct because I'm creating the image of God, I have this instinct to worship. So human beings will kind of worship anything. They'll worship a tree, they'll worship the sun, they'll worship like anything. And, and so God instructs, protects, and then restores. He's like, by the way, you don't. this instinct to worship doesn't mean you just do whatever you want. There, I am the one true God. You only worship me. What about this cow? Don't worship the cow. You, worship, you only worship me. Well, now all of a sudden I'm restored into kind of a, a paradigm where I'm like, okay, there's one true God. You're the one true God. All right, I guess I should get to know you. Like it really narrows things down just by hearing the law. So why does God get the law? Well, he's instructing, he's protecting, and he's, he's restoring. And I would ask that question. It's a big deal. Because when you read the Bible, the law is all the way through it. So, knowing why it's there, it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's Jane telling Tarzan, putting him in the place that he's supposed to be, all right, well, how do I start to live in that place? Well, let me show you some things, okay? All right, so that's, that's why God gives it. Here's the second question. It's a big one. It's a really big one. The second question you should ask yourself is this. From whose authority are the laws given? From whose authority are the laws given? Who says that the law is the law. did Moses make this stuff up? Is this the Apostle Paul's opinion later on in the Bible? Like, who says that the law is the law? What's fascinating, what God says here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, and God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God. This is a really big phrase, okay? Look at it. And who spoke it? And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God. That's, the, that's a preface to the Ten Commandments. And God gave these words, I am the Lord your God. By whose authority are these things given? By God's authority. We learned a couple weeks ago, you got to listen to it, it's online, that we are created beings. That's where human beings come from. We didn't evolve from an amoeba. We're a created being. And because we're created, what that means in part is that the creator always has authority over his creation. So we are people under authority. We don't do whatever we want. We are people under authority. It's a real baseline of of the human condition of Christian thought. So we would look at this and say, well, if God, our creator, spoke these things as the creation, I receive those things with the authority of God behind it. So, they come from God. That's why they're universal and timeless. They come from God, and they are from His heart and from His mind. And this is what this means. If I'm a Christ follower, or if you're thinking about being one, a Christ follower would look at the commands of God, and they would believe that they come from the authority of God— And because they come from the authority of God, we would believe that to ignore or violate these commands is an act of defiance against God. So, so if I look and say, I know I'm not supposed to steal, but I'm just going to do it anyways. I'm just going to, you know, fudge the contract. I'm going to rip this person off. We We wouldn't look and say, hey, you're a jerk for being a jerk. We would look and say, you have rebelled against your creator God. If we look and say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to let my mind go with covetousness. I'm going to be jealous, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to look and say, well, they must have ripped somebody off, and that's why they drive that truck, and, and I'm going to have that attitude. We would look and say, no, no, no. You're, you're not just like wanting to improve yourself or daydreaming about having a nicer truck one day. You're rebelling against God. You're not taking that thought captive and submitting it to God. So we would look at the breaking of the God's law, whether it's the Ten Commandments or you know, the rest of the law throughout the rest of Scripture, and we'd say, no, no this is actually a really big deal that, that you would do this. In fact, we would go this far. We would believe that whenever I decide to define my own truth or I seek and listen to a truth outside of God's truth, we actually violate the first commandment. So the first commandment says you shall know other gods before me. And we would look and say, that's a really big deal. There's a reason why it's number one. You should have no other gods before me. We would believe this. We would believe it because these commands come from God, that another God, that God is anything or person or opinion that you allow to have final authority in your life on that subject. It's anything, person, or opinion that you allow to have final authority in your life on that subject. So, so if God says something like uh, you, you should you should not have a hint of sexual immorality among you, and you look and say that's an old fashioned. Come on, a hint, really? It's just soft porn. It's just a little bit of porn. Everybody's raised on porn. Come on. It, it, come on. What happens is when I when I break that command. And I look and say, no, I don't think that's reasonable. I have become the final authority on that command in my life. Therefore, I have made myself God. I am my own idol. If you take this out to other schools of thought, so, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies as yourself. And if you're from a, a culture or a religion that says, no, you don't love your enemies as yourself. If you have an enemy, you kill them. You kill the infidel. You're, you're ISIS. We would, be like, we would say, right, you have violated the first commandment because you have said, I am not going to do, I'm not falling under God's authority. I'm going to follow under uh, Muhammad's authority. And we're like, well, that's a false God. You've broken the commandment. You've rebelled against the one true God. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit, they're not prophets. They're God. You know, other God's before him, right? Uh, a big one that happens right now is the government, right? The government. Well, it's legal. It's legal. So it must be right because the government made it legal. Okay, point number one. Can we all agree that the government has not done a fantastic job over the years deciding what should be good or bad, right? Like since George Washington forward, right? Ladies, are you glad you can vote? You know, right? So so the government has a horrible track record in defining morality. It's okay to own other people, right? That was a good good one, guys, right? So, So we would look and say, first of all, they have a horrible track record, therefore, it doesn't matter today what they say is legal or not. It only matters what God says. So as if I'm a Christ follower, I'm not defined by my government. My government does a terrible job with this. Right? I'm not defined by my government. I'm defined by the law of God. And really, the things that we have fixed in our culture is because the people of God have raised up with the law of God and said, you know what, it's, a, it's immoral to own another human being. It's immoral to look at, what, 60% of the country and say, you're just a woman. So, so just because something is, is legal doesn't make it morally right. So as a Christ follower... I'm always going to be under God's authority. It's legal. I don't care what you say. It's it's right or wrong because why? Where do you get that from? God. God said. There's a bunch of stuff the government can do whatever they want. I don't. I could give a rip what the speed limit is. Who cares, right? Render under Caesar. But but on issues where God is clear. A Christ follower is going to always land in that place. Why? Because we receive those directives with the authority of God. And we will stand outside even our own governmental systems, right? Because we would yield to God's authority and and really never yield to man's authority. That would be the the path that a Christian would go on. See how that works? So when I'm looking at these laws, I'm looking at I'm saying, okay, first of all, why were they given? Well, they're instructive, they're protective, and they're restorative. Jane had to tell Tarzan he's not actually an ape. Ugh, right? So, it pulls us into a different paradigm. And then these commands, they come in with authority. Well, who says? Well, God does. That's how a Christian would look at it. These are the, This is God's authority, and I yield to this in all things, always. Right? Now, here's the third question that I would ask. If I was you, I'd ask this question. Here's the question. I would say, how are you supposed to do all this? How do you follow all the? I mean, there's so many laws in the Bible. Like, I can do like the not murder thing, maybe, but like, like later on, like the forgive as you forgive and get rid of bitterness and love as you've been loved. Like, how in the world? do you work all that out and then the concrete ones Jesus messes that up in Matthew chapter 5 because Jesus is like like the concrete one don't commit adultery well then Jesus comes and he's like oh by the way if you think lustfully about a woman in your heart you commit adultery Right? So every guy in the room is like, ah, oh, snap. I committed adultery like four times this morning. Right? So so like, what? And then later on, he's like, by the way, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So like every Ohio State fan is like, ah, oh, crap. I murdered Michigan. Right? You know, he's like, so, so you, you look and you're like, oh, what in the world are you supposed to do with all this stuff? Because there's all this stuff. There's absolutely no way to obey God perfectly, I'd have to be Jesus to do that. And the Bible would be like, right. Part of the law is to to point out that you're a sinner. Uh, A part of the reason why the law is giving is so that you know that, Tarzan, you're not supposed to be over here, don't you see? Part of what the law does is it makes us guilty And when I realize that I am guilty, like I break this stuff all the time, Jesus would be like, right, that's why you need me. That's why I showed you that. I didn't show you that to make you live in shame. I didn't show you that because you're a jerk. I didn't show you that because I wanted to have a reason to hit you with a lightning bolt. I showed you that so that you realize you can't have self-righteousness. I have to do this for you and that's why I came and gave my life for you. So, now a fair question would be well, what am I supposed to do then? How do, how, do I, how do I handle all these laws? Well, thankfully, Jesus told us what to do. So, flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, my favorite passage in the whole Bible, Matthew chapter 22. There were these guys in the New Testament that thought they were they were they nailed the law. They thought they were self-righteous that they were they made themselves acceptable to God. And Jesus was always in arguments with these guys. They were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 22 verse 34, hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with his question, "Teacher, Which is the greatest commandment in the law? So he's going to just snooker Jesus into messing up because you got to keep the rules, right? And Jesus answered him. He replied, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. All these rules that God says to follow— all this instruction that God says—and let's even trust his heart. Like, okay, it's because you're, you're instructing me, you're protecting me, and you're being restorative in your relationship. So, let's just trust that we, we accept that, Jesus, that God does that because he loves us. But we would still look and say, I cannot do all this stuff. What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, let me tell you how this works. All of that law— and all of the teaching of the prophets, which often enact the law or teach the law, hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and later on the Bible says strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a fascinating thing, right? Here's my biggest fear. If you looked and said, Jeff, I am hyped up about obeying God now, I get the law, I'm in, in, I wanna do what God says, I wanna obey God, right? What do I do? Well, for many of us, when we think about being radically obedient to God, what we think about is, is radical behavior modification. I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to chew, I'm not going to date girls who do. I'm going to get my hair cut, I'm going to start wearing a dress, I'm going to go Amish, I'm, do, I'm doing it, I'm going Amish. Right? I just radically want to follow God. Here, here's the thing, it'll never work. Because it's not what God is actually looking for. God, God tells us what to do because he's instructing us, protecting us, and restoring us. But but if if that stuff is not done... Out of a love for God, it's meaningless to God. The Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. He doesn't care how well you keep the law, right? Here's a little saying, it's my favorite little saying. You should get a tattoo of this one. All right here it is. Behavior will never generate love. Love always alters behavior. Behavior will never generate love. Love always alters behavior. So when, the, when the, the Pharisee comes up, he's like, what's the most important behavior, Jesus? Jesus is like, to love me. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says later on, John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Jesus would look at us and say, listen, qu- quit trying to get all the rules right and focus in on loving me. And if you love me, your behavior will align accordingly. If you, if you love me, you, how, how do I do? I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to covet. Well, you're going to covet. You're going to covet not coveting. But if I, if I love Christ, what happens is this. When I love Christ, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, my attitude of gratitude just goes to the roof. When gratitude goes to the roof, guess what goes away? Jesus says, quit trying to get your act together. The whole point of me coming and dying is that you can't get your act together. Love me and your behavior will modify. Now this is huge. Ready? That's step one. Step two is this. What does radical obedience look like then? I thought radical obedience was like living like a weirdo. Radical obedience was like, what does radical obedience look like? here it is. Radical obedience, ready, looks like radical love of your neighbor. I am predisposed to be absolutely selfish. Nobody, it's, it's natural. I'm a narcissist. I'm arrogant. I want I'm selfish, I wanna look out for number one, I'm gonna make myself happy, I need a little bit of me time, my culture's gonna reinforce all of that. And it makes so much sense, right? Tarzan, you're not meant to live in the jungle. Let me instruct, let me protect, let, let, me, let me restore, okay? Come over here, I'm gonna tell you how to live. What does this radical obedience look like? Instead of me being consumed with my selfishness, now I'm radically obedient to God, so it looks like crazy things, like I'm gonna lay my life down for my brother. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell everything I have and give it to the poor. I'm gonna put others' interest above my own, like Christ did, Philippians chapter two. Radical obedience looks like radical love. Over here, if you you better, you wrong me, it's on. You punch me in the face, I punch you back. Or you bring a knife I bring a gun, like all that kind of stuff. It looks like violence. It looks like hatred. It looks like murder. Over here, what does radical obedience look like? Radical obedience looks like, I'm going to love the people who hate me. I'm going to love my enemy as if they were my neighbor. So I'm going to love them the way that I love myself. See how that works? Radical obedience looks like radical love. You can, you, radical obedience is not piety. We wear clothes with no buttons, and we, we sit in church, and we think judgmental thoughts about other people. We honor God. No, you don't. You're just a jerk. <laughs> radical obedience looks like radical involvement. Radical compassion, radical mercy, radical truth, r- radically bearing the burdens of another person. This is what Jesus is saying. All this stuff, you know what this stuff does? It teaches you how to interact with me and to interact with each other. You'll, you, it never will dawn on you by yourself. So I'm gonna instruct, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna protect you, and, and then I want this to play out. All the law hangs on loving me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Love will alter your behavior. All the law hangs on loving your neighbor as yourself. Radical obedience looks like radical love. It's not getting into the nuances of, did God say this or that? It's getting into the meta-narrative of why did God say, why, God, why does God tell us what to do then? Because you're a child. It's a parental relationship. It's not God controlling you, taking all the fun out of your life, making your life miserable. God could totally do that if he wanted to. He's God. he just zap you, transfer you to Michigan. he did do something horrible in your life if he wanted to. That's not why he tells us what to do. The reason why he commands that we do it is the same reason that parents command that their children do certain things. And in time and in maturity, you adopt that command as a truth and live it on your own. We have a parental relationship with God. Which part of loving your enemy makes sense if you're a child? Which part of forgive as you've been forgiven makes sense? when you're a child. Now, as you mature, you realize, if I don't forgive the one who hurt me, the hatred I have for that person destroys me and doesn't affect them at all. That's adult math. In the meantime, if, you, if somebody hits you, don't hit them back. Don't repay evil for evil. Right? So why does God make us do it? Because he's our father. We're not gonna do this math. But as we grow in our love for him, as we grow in our understanding of him, as we grow in our desire to be like our dad, right, those commands become ways of life. They become value systems. They become truths that we govern our life with. See how that works? Right? So God gives us the law. Why? Because we're Tarzan. But to be broken out of something that we totally don't get instinctually. What's he doing? He's correcting, he's instructing, he's protecting, he's showing us paths of restoration. That's what he's doing. And it's from God. It's not like something I added to my life, right? Christianity is not a add on life, it's an instead of life. So instead of that, I'm this now. So it's the authority of God coming in, and so we're yielding to God, even as we yield to each other. And then what does that look like? It looks like a radical love for Jesus and a radical love for our neighbor. That's how it will play out. It doesn't play out as piety. It plays out as a passion for the heart of God and for the people that He loves, right? And that's why we obey God, that's why the Bible tells us to do certain things, not to do other certain things, and that's why we yield to the authority of God, okay? All right? That's it. I told you, that's our deal. That's our, that's our deal in this series. You, you give it a fair hearing, and I'll drop it right there. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to repent, I'm not asking you to change, I'm not asking you to believe, right? You do all that on your own, I told you. There's no big emotional appeal here at the end. That's it. So that card's on the table. And so far we, we kinda understand what the Bible's about. We understand about the fall. We understand about God wanting to restore and wanting us to have faith. And now we understand kinda how to interact with the Bible, why God tells us the things that he tells us, okay? And you take that and do whatever math you believe you need to do with it, right? Okay. In a minute, I'm going to ask the band to come out. They're going to create a little space for us to kind of sit and think. And let me, uh, let me show you uh, some things you can chew on if you want to. Here's one. If you trusted God's heart and His commands, how would it change the way you interacted with the Bible? So the, the Bible's a, ru- a list of do's and don'ts. You know what? You're kind of right about that in many ways. But if those do's and don'ts were given for your benefit from a heart of a loving father, if you trust your dad, if you trust your coach, if you trust a teacher, if you trust, if you trust a God that way, who's also bringing order to your life, how would that kind of alter the way that you interact with the Bible? Just think about it. Would it it change your perspective? Here's the second thing to change about. This is a big question. Who's actually God in your life? That's a big question. So who is the final authority? And let me tell you, If anywhere in your life you're ignoring anything in Scripture, there's the answer to that question. So, this is from God. So, it's a big question. Is there another God before, even if it's you? Right? And the last question is Do you see how this is all rooted in Jesus? That it's our relationship with Jesus that that causes all this to order itself. And If we quit trying to be good and started diving into the one who is good, would our behavior align because we're loving him? Which is a question to wrestle through and think through, okay? All right. I'll pray the band will come out, and then you can chew on that stuff the way you want to. Jesus, we love you. Thanks for helping us with this. Uh, God, this, this is big math right big big math and so it's foundational to our life to our interaction with you and our interaction with each other and so lord i pray that everyone within the sound of my voice here in the room and on the internet and other places that that they you would interact with them individually that you would press into their heart in an individual way and and let them trust you in a new way let them receive you follow you in a new way and to understand even how to kind of walk with you day in, day out in a new way. So press into our heart, God. Convict where you need to convict. Encourage where you need to encourage. And in all things, draw us back into this relationship we were created to be in. Work in our hearts that way now, Jesus. In your name, amen.